Over the years, we've covered our share of plane crashes, nuclear accidents, and more. You do tend to have a soft spot for these kinds of things. And today we're combining them to talk about a plane crash mm. that could have been much, much worse than it ended up being. Yeah, this one's very much in your wheelhouse. It's a, it's a bit, bit off the rails. So let's roll back the clock to the early morning hours of January 24th, 1961. Around midnight, a U.S. Air Force B-52G was set to take part in an aerial refueling. During the procedure, the crew aboard the tanker reported that the B-52 was leaking fuel from the right wing. I don't claim to be an aerospace engineer or anything close to it, but this doesn't sound very good to me. No, it, it seems bad. Okay. Now, the B-52 is a massive plane and probably honestly worth an, uh, a whole episode unto itself. This isn't the band then? No. Okay, it wasn't the like the, the, the Love Shack people saying, hey, there's a nuclear incident? Its range, when fully fueled, 9,000 miles. <laughs> this is wild. Can we get some context on that? How far is 9,000 miles? It is, uh, well, let's see how many miles you and I are apart. Let me open, find my, let's see. So currently, I'm in Memphis. You are in London. You are 4,000 miles. 300-ish miles away from me. Wow. I could come to your office and back, basically be okay. Yeah, you'd be fine. Except for the nuclear incident. Except, well, we're going to get to that. So anyways, yeah. the crew was told to uh, enter a holding pattern to burn off any unnecessary fuel before attempting an emergency landing. However, the leak grew quickly worse, as these things tend to do, uh, with the crew reporting that the plane had lost 37,000 pounds of fuel in just three minutes. Someone got covered that day, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a lot of fuel to just escape. Well, it was the middle of the night. You just come out and your jet fuel all over your, all over your front yard. <laughs> Great. At this point, the plane was directed to end its holding pattern, which had been out over the ocean. So I guess some fish got some fuel on them. That's probably fine. Oh, no. And land immediately at the Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in Goldsboro, which is in eastern North Carolina. But they wouldn't make it. They weren't going to get there. At an altitude of around 10,000 feet, the crew was unable to control the plane, and the flight's commanding officer ordered the crew to abandon the aircraft. This took place at about 9,000 feet. Five of the crew parachuted to the ground safely, including Lieutenant Adam Maddox. So Adam here, our buddy Adam, is the only person known to have successfully bailed out of the top hatch of a B-52 without an ejection seat. I guess he just opened the hatch and jumped. I don't know. Just straight jump. He's just got a very good like vertical leap. Didn't skip leg day. Uh, sadly, three other men were killed, two in the crash itself and one upon landing. You mean like landing to the ground? I don't I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They parachuted but didn't survive the parachute landing. Yeah. The crew's last view of the aircraft was of an intact plane with its payload of two Mark 39 thermonuclear bombs still on board. Each one had an estimated yield of 3.8 megatons. That means each of the two bombs was roughly 250 times larger than the weapon dropped on Hiroshima during World War II. It's not great, Bob. Not great at all, no. It is estimated that the plane broke into pieces between 1,000 to 2,000 feet from the ground, and as it did, the bombs were set free from their mouths to fall over a sleepy rural North Carolina. More on that after the break, though. Because this episode of Ungenius is brought to you by our friends over at Fitbod. 
Getting fitter is one of those things that has knock-on effects in other areas of your life that you might not expect, like having more energy and sleeping better. But it can be hard to know where to start. And that's why FitBot is so great. It's an easy and affordable way to build a fitness plan that's just for you. FitBot's algorithm learns about you, your goals, and your training ability, creating a custom dynamic program based on your experience and any equipment you may have. This is all in an app that makes it incredibly easy to learn how to perform each exercise. It's actually one of my favorite features in the app is for each move, you get videos from a couple different angles so you can see what you're supposed to be doing. Everyone's fitness path is different. FitBot uses data to make sure they customize things exactly to suit you. Their powerful technology understands your strength training ability, studies your past workouts, and adapts your available gym equipment. So if you have a home gym like I do and you buy something new, or maybe you're traveling and have access to stuff at a hotel or something, you can just tell FitBot what you have available to you and it uh, rebuilds your training plan, not only to maximize fitness gains, but also to take advantage of the equipment at your disposal. Overworking some muscles while underworking others can negatively impact results. That's why FitBot tracks muscle fatigue and recovery to design well-balanced workouts. The app is really simple to use. It has over 1,400 HD video tutorials shot from multiple angles, like I said. It makes learning each exercise a breeze. And it integrates with the Apple Watch, Wear OS smartwatches, and apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. I've been using FitBot for a couple of years now, and I really do like it. I can see in my workouts how I've progressed over the time that I've used it. And it's really helped me also flesh out my home gym because I know if I buy something new or get something for the home gym that I can incorporate it really easily. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but FitBot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. But you can get 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash ungeniused. So go now and get your customized fitness plan, FitBod dot me slash ungenius and you'll get 25% off your membership. Our thanks to FitBod for the support of the show and all of Relay FM. The first of the two bombs was found intact, standing upright of its parachute deployed and entangled in a tree's branches. The parachute being deployed, whilst sounds like, oh, it helped itself down to the ground, is a major red flag that the accident had then caused at least part of the bomb's arming mechanisms to become activated. Like, the parachute is a bad thing. Right. So they have this sequence, and Uh if the parachute comes out, we're already pretty far into the sequence. It thinks it's on its way to do its job, you know? Yeah, not to farmland over sleepy North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Early reports were that this bomb was in no danger of exploding with a U.S. Department of Defense spokesperson going as far as saying as it was unarmed. However, the government's internal report about the accident surfaced in 2013, and it revealed that a single switch out of the four required for detonation was in its safe position. The second bomb's parachute was not fired, and as such, it disintegrated when it impacted a muddy field at a speed of around 700 miles an hour. The tail of the bomb was discovered 20 feet below ground, and parts of it were never recovered. Like the first bomb, some of its safety switches were armed when discovered. After working to excavate the wreckage for some time, it was decided that full removal was not feasible, as the underground pits they had to dig kept flooding. The core which contained the nuclear material was found and removed, 
and the United States Army Corps of Engineering purchased a 400-foot easement around the crash site. This site is still visible on Google Maps today. There's a link in the show notes. It's this field with a clump of trees in the middle of it, with the wreckage remaining some 180 feet underground. Yeah, it's just kind of like an expanse of nothing, right? Like, you'd never even know. But if you're looking for it, uh, it's just off Big Daddy's Road. <laughs> I love I love America, man. Is that near Scrub Daddy Lane? Probably. Probably. <laughs> As we said before, these bombs were serious business, with 250 times the power of the Hiroshima bomb. Had they gone off, each one would have killed every living thing in an eight and a half mile radius. That would not have been good for Big Daddy. No. In a now declassified 1969 report titled Goldsboro Revisited, nuclear safety expert Parker Jones wrote that a single rudimentary low-voltage switch was all that kept the world from what would have been a massive nuclear accident. Jones went on to write that the Mark 39 nuclear weapon did not include adequate safety equipment to be transported by air, and that a single short circuit during the plane's breakup or the bomb's impact on the ground could have easily set one or both of them off, and that no matter how much debate would take place, quote, no one will ever know why the bombs failed to explode. Other experts have written that the bombs weren't as close to exploding as Jones reported, and that if they had gone off, it was possible that it would have been a partial detonation, not releasing its entire nuclear yield. Oh, good! Good. (laughs) Just a little. Just a smidge. Just a small nuclear accident. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not good. No, not at all. In June of 2012, the state of North Carolina installed a historical road marker three miles from the crash site with the heading Nuclear Mishap. And this isn't the only close call that nations have had with nuclear warheads. That's the story for another time. Indeed. Isn't it wild that these things can hit the ground at such a speed from such a height and just not explode? Like, it is so much of, like, what it is that makes a nuclear bomb explode is not necessarily the impact, right? It has to have that detonation, and without it, it just won't happen, which I guess is a good thing for North Carolina, but just a wild thing to think about, that it didn't just immediately blow up. Really scary, either way. Mm Mm-hmm. Our thanks to Ryan for sending this in. If you want to read more about the Goldsboro B-52 crash, we've got links in the show notes, including Google Maps. You can go see, what was it, Big Daddy Road? Big Daddy's Road. Big Daddy's Road. You can go check that out. Uh, Those are on the web at relay.fm slash ungenius slash 182. They're also in your podcast player. Uh, We've got links on the site and in the show notes for a couple things. Uh, There's a feedback form where you can submit your own Uh, favorite wikipedia topics and they will go on the list for consideration for future episodes Uh, you can also become a member and support ungenius directly can i just read this uh nuclear mishap historical marker to you please b-52 transporting two nuclear bombs crashed january 1961 widespread disaster averted three crewmen died that's the whole thing tweet tweet length (laughs) could have a little more information you know that's it. Yeah, maybe, may, okay, maybe someone go over there and just like, you know, put a little sticker with our yes. episode URL on it. Don't do that. Don't deface a public sign. Don't do that. No, it's fine. I, I will tell you, put a sticker on it. Okay. Big Daddy can't catch me, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, Mike, until next time we're in North Carolina, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all.